Welcome to Australian Hiker, your online hiking resource. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 135 of the Australian Hiker podcast. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be a professional adventure filmmaker and photographer, to wander the world and be paid to film and photograph some amazing scenery and individuals doing some amazing things? In today's episode, we talk to Daniel Taylor, whose job is just that. We hope you enjoy. All right, so Daniel, thank you for making time to talk to the Australian Hiker Podcast. Thank you, Tim, for having me. Before we talk about your photography, what's your hiking and adventure background? Yeah, so I come from uh, New Zealand, from from Auckland there, and um, I guess our family was quite heavily involved uh, in exploring the outdoors. Like, we'd go camping almost every weekend in summer. Um, We'd often do one of uh, New Zealand's Great Walks, which is the Tongarua Crossing, the uh, one of the day hikes through the Tongariro mountain range. Um, and then I guess as I got older, I started venturing out with friends and doing my own thing. And like one of my first overnight hikes uh, was when I was about 20 years old. Um, New Zealand's got this great network of backcountry cabins that was set up by the Department of Conservation there. Yep, yep. Um, and <laughs> it was a total disaster of a trip. <laughs> So this is the first time I spent a night out um, in the wilderness. We had a cabin, which was good. We didn't have to sort out our own tent or anything. I'd never prepared for a trip like this before. And so when me and my friend uh, went to the supermarket to buy food, we bought cans of baked beans, canned (laughs) soup, breads, avocado, kind of pretty much every heavy thing you could think of. And we just threw that in a bag with our sleeping bags and kind of went for a hike, thinking it would be all good. And then we get to the hut and we start chatting to a French guy who's staying there too. And we're unpacking our bag and we just hear this laugh in the background. I'm like, what's this guy on about? And he just comes over and he's like, I can't believe how much heavy food you guys have. How are you doing this? And then it gets to dinner time. And we thought just instinctively that the hut would have kind of a gas cooker or some sort of fuel that we could cook on. <laughs> and that wasn't the case. So... <laughs> um. We had ended up having to use this French guy's gas stove so that we could warm up our soup, but it wasn't hot. It was just mildly warm because the guy was so stressed about his gas supply because he was out in the wild for, for, I think it was about 10 days. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a disaster, but we came out with smiles and a good story to tell after that. And then um, from there, every winter in New Zealand, I'd often spend it uh, on the slopes skiing. So I kind of grew this fond friendship I guess you could say with the mountains and really love being around them I think they're these incredible like natural structures that just need to be explored and that really sparked my love for adventuring and then on and off from there often do um, hikes with friends um, and quite a few overseas trips as well I've been to Europe um, Southeast Asia, Japan, been skiing in Japan. It was an epic time over there. And then now, uh, more recently, I've moved to Canada. So Canada's my new home. And 
and this place is abundant with um, natural wildlife, epic hikes, these beautiful turquoise lakes, and these incredible mountains that are just wanting to be explored. That's, uh, it sounds like you've had a bit of a varied uh, varied background, and as, as, as probably is typical of uh, most people when they start out hiking, they tend to carry too much or carry the wrong sort of thing, and I think you soon learn very quickly uh, <laughs> what that is you actually need. <laughs> very, very quickly, yes. Not to carry too much weight, I think that's the uh, important lesson that I learned from day one. Okay, then. Um, so how did you get into photography and from there into adventure photography? Yeah, so when I was younger, I always used to pick up my friend's cameras and, and take photos. Um, and when I took my first overseas trip to Europe, I actually filmed and shot the entire thing on an iPhone and ended up making a short film out of it. Um, and I really liked the idea of um, filmmaking because you're able to tell a story and show a lot more than a single photo because it kind of only captures the point in time. Yeah, yeah. And so it took me a while... Um, but I finally managed to save up and purchase my first camera a few years ago. And honestly, I just took it everywhere I went. Um, I took lots of photos and videos. I'd share them on social media. Um, and that started getting picked up by tourism boards and businesses. And I just made it a habit that anywhere I went, adventurous or outdoors, that I'd always take my camera with me. But the real kicker was I had a change of mindset. So I bought a drone a couple of years ago. And I said to myself, look, Dan, if you can't make enough from um, obtaining jobs and in the photography industry and able to pay it off, uh, you're going to have to sell it. So I, I gave myself a six-month time frame, and I was like, all right, if I can't make up what I spent on this drone in six months, I'm just going to have to sell it. <laughs> and that kind of completely changed my perspective on photography in a sense that it wasn't just a hobby anymore that I really started had to work to to get jobs and start earning some money from it and that's kind of where everything kicked off and snowballed from there it was quite funny my first ever photography job was I bought the drone it was literally about two weeks later there was a lawn bowls tournament in Auckland out of all things (laughs) And me and a few friends were part of it, and uh, I messaged the organizers. They're like, hey, I have a drone. Could I bring it along? Um, and then it snowballed out of that, and they were like, well, would you like to put a video together for us? And I was like, me and my buddy, uh, Kurt, were like, yep, let's do it. So I took my camera gear down, and we took the drone down, and that was our first ever paid gig was um, filming a lawn bowl tournament. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, yeah, you, you need to start somewhere, and if someone's willing to pay you for it, that's that's always a good thing. Um, so, uh, ex- exactly. I mean, and that's completely right. Like, uh, what I've learned is any kind of photography is great because you're always enhancing your skills, right? Like, the first thing was uh, the first job that I ever did was an event in lawn bowls, but you take learnings from that and you're able to apply and take them to like other jobs and other areas of photography that uh, you enjoy. 
Um, so, I mean, I suppose that, that raises the question then. You, you went from taking photos and images because you really enjoyed it to becoming a paid job. Has it changed the way you enjoy photography? Is, is it a job now or do you still really enjoy doing it? At times it's a job when you're up till 2 a.m. in the morning trying to work on a project. Um, like one of my recent uh, projects was I was in Peru um, one of the previous people that you interviewed was Lucy Barnard, and she's walking the length of the world. So I spent a month with her um, filming her journey, and we're working on a short film that will be coming out uh, early next year. So at the moment, that part is a job. I'm not using my camera. I'm currently working on that documentary and getting things planned for that. But it's not when you're having fun. I feel like whenever I'm out in the outdoors, I love to have my camera with me because it, it's just such a stunning environment and it's really cool being able to capture it and then kind of have those images and memories forever, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes I think to myself, though, I'm like, Dan, put the camera away. You stress yourself out too much. Like you take all these photos and you have to edit them and sort them out. And, you know, <laughs> it's always a process. But at the end of the day, I actually really enjoy having my camera with me because um, it's what allowed because it's doing two things I love. I love being in the outdoors, but I also love taking photos and being able to pair them together has just been like a phenomenal thing. Okay. So, what then uh, drove you to do this particular type of photography? You know, you mentioned you first started off doing lawn bowls. Why not? Why not wedding photography or or portrait photography? Why? Why adventure photography? Yeah. Well, funny you say wedding. Uh, wedding photography. I've never actually been a wedding photographer, but I've been a wedding videographer. So I um, used to make films and highlight reels of of couples' weddings, and that was really, really special and really fun to do. Shortly after the lawn bowls project, uh, my best mate, his mum was getting married, and we kind of just threw the idea up in the air. Uh, and so we kind of just threw the idea in the air of, oh, what if I took some video of it and it ended up that I made a full highlight reel of their entire night um, and they really really enjoyed it and then I showed some people that and it's and then that ended up sparking up more jobs and I started actually working as a wedding videographer for a while Um, and then it's kind of just really interesting how uh, that landscape moves and the different styles of photography that your videography that you get involved in um because you just learn so many different skills like uh the lawn bowls was a great project because i went through the full process of obtaining a job and following it through and then wedding videography i learned about emotion and trying to bring that out um in a video and really trying to convey the excitement and how special the day was um, but then getting into adventure photography and videography, I used, like I said, I used to always take my camera with me and I used to start um, creating edits of um, days skiing or um, trips that we'd do or um, overseas trips that would that would happen. So that kind of, I absolutely love doing those because um, one of the really cool things I like to work on is just trying to convey you know when you take a photo and you just are just in awe of the place you're at, yeah. but the photo just can't convey 
what you're seeing. You know, you, you get you get so you, you get so excited. It's like, my God, the colors are amazing. There's all this wildlife around. There's the sounds. There's the smell, but you just can't convey that in a photo. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right there. It's sort of sometimes sometimes you get these spectacular images which manage to do it, but it's a it's a real rarity. Uh, and as you say, sometimes you've trying to get everything in there—the sounds, the colours, the wildlife—you you can't just do that in a single image. You've got to do that in in something like video or something that's a, that that can sort of draw the person into what the, what's there. Exactly, and that's what I really liked about um, filming these adventures or escapes um, is that I'd be able to get all that footage and then bring it back onto my laptop and edit into a beautiful piece, which for me made me, when I rewatched it, just, yeah, it would kind of bring back those memories of kind of what the environment was like. Um, And so by taking all these photos and videos of these adventures that go on, um, it just sparked this passion and I just, love being in the outdoors and I love taking my camera. And then from there, it's, uh, I guess the real breakthrough for me in adventure photography and videography was when I moved to Canada. Um, Where I was in Auckland, it was more of a kind of urban photography environment. There wasn't as much of an opportunity in that area for adventure photography. Um, But moving to Canada, where I am right now, I'm in a small town called Fernie. And it's right in the heart of the Rockies. Literally from my doorstep, I can see 2,800 meter peaks, um, which are just wrap around us. At the moment, it's actually snowing outside. So that's quite exciting. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it gave me the opportunity to really get my camera out into the wild and into the outdoors. Um, And I paired up with the uh, local ski resort here. Um, and did a bit of work with them. And it's just like, that's kind of how uh, I got into this industry was um, just really placing myself into where the adventures are. Um, And they're all around us. Like uh, one of the last hikes I did before um, I went to Peru was Heiko's Trail. It's two nights, three days. um, And you start at about 1,000 meters and you walk right up to 2,800 and you just get these magnificent views. I, I think it was one of the best sunrises I've ever seen in my life. We managed to camp out on the summit up there, and we just took these incredible photos. And I'm currently working on a short film for that at the moment. Um, it's a really special trip, that. Yeah, it's, I, I, think it, I think it's quite funny in some respects. You know, we Australia's highest mountains roughly 2,400 metres, and it's, it's, it's really nothing in the scheme of world mountains. Um, and I know uh, when I went over to Western Australia to hike, they talk about the uh, the mountains over there, which is which is they're so tiny in comparison. And I, and I think it's what you're used to. I, I do love the America, mm-hmm. the, particularly the North American mountains and and, and scenery. You know, as much as I love living in Australia, that's that's one of my bucket lists to go over and do some hiking in in those sort of areas, just because of the the variety and the and the differences that we would get to to an Australian environment. Totally. And it's it's interesting, isn't it, that um, in, in Australia and New Zealand, you don't have to worry about altitude. Like, AMS isn't a problem because the mountains aren't high enough. I think the highest mountain in New Zealand is Mount Cook. Um, well, I know it's Mount Cook. <laughs> but 
I'm not sure how high. I think it's about 3,400, uh, 3,700 meters. Yep. Um, and in Australia, like you were saying, it's, it's really not that high. Whereas I just got back from Nepal and we were walking through a 5,400 meter pass with 8,000 meter mountains surrounding us. And that was something that was crazy, yeah. but such an experience. I, find, I must have, we, did, we did Bhutan a couple of years ago and the strangest thing I find is the fact you've got perfect cell, cell signal uh, as you're wandering through the mountains. So I don't know what uh, Nepal's like, but Bhutan, you, you're wandering through these mountains and you can be talking on your phone quite comfortably. So, yeah, it's <laughs> interesting that you, you, you try and get to these places to get away from it all, but they, uh, they really <laughs> look out for the tourists and make sure that we're always connected. Uh, in Nepal, it's kind of the same, actually. Um, you stay in in lots of guest houses, um, so you never actually have to take a tent. And I, it's by far one of my favorite places to hike anywhere in the world. I think it's it's such an incredible country. The the culture is phenomenal, and the people are so lovely, and the food is just to die for. Yeah. Um, but on these trails, you you could walk along, and you could always get Wi-Fi, uh, which is quite ironic, and even though you're you're hundreds of kilometers from an urban center. Um, but we had a, a storm roll through and it cut out. I'm not too sure. We tried to, I tried to understand what happened, but they said something was wrong with the solar panels. Um, and for eight days, we had no Wi-Fi. And it was one of the greatest eight days of my life. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I think you're right there. I uh, I must admit because I because I blog and podcast as I go, um, I, I I I grab the opportunities to use Wi-Fi where I can. And but uh, yeah, you get periods where you just blank and just get nothing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well exactly. now we'll go on to uh, a typical days, and I know there's no one answer here, but when you're out filming, videoing, what does a typical day or a typical trip look like for you? Yeah, well, like you said, every day is different. Um, I, I'll I'll talk it in context of what what we did down with Lucy uh, in Peru. So I spent so to recap on what I did down there. Lucy's on one of the greatest hikes in the world. She's walking from Argentina to Alaska, um, and she's on a mission north. So I spent a month with her, uh, walking with her as she was making her way to the Peruvian Ecuador border. And every morning was quite different, but the same. We would often like wake up in the morning at about six o'clock and it's breakfast and coffee. It's always the go-to to have. And as a photographer, for a typical day, your most important uh, period of the day is dawn and dusk when you get the golden hour and the sun's rising up and down. Yeah. So I'd usually be running out at this time of the day uh, with my camera trying to capture us cooking breakfast or um, depending on where we are if there's mountains around trying to capture the light bouncing off those and then kind of as the day progresses um, we'd be walking through towns she'd be uh, chatting to people they'd be asking her about her journey quite often we'd get invited in for lunch so that was really cool and we end up having lunch with a whole bunch of locals um, and it was a really special, special day. But before, I guess, the day begins, you always have an idea in your head uh, of where you're going and what the plan is. 
So before any any day begins, um, we were using a whole bunch of apps, but the two key ones we use uh, were one called FatMap, which is the app for your phone, and another one called Map Out. Um, FatMap gives these incredible 3D realistic um, topographic maps that you can literally fly through and you can see the terrain that you're using okay. and walking through. And then another one's called Map Out, and I... Lucy showed me this app, and I swear by it. it you can download um, hiking trails from all around the world, and you can uh, see your hiking profile for the day, um, where you'd get to depending on how far you'd want to walk, and you can see towns, um, different trails, the road networks, and if you're like, I want to get from one town to the next or from one point to one other point, you tap at the start and the finish, and it will just snap the shortest, quickest, fastest line um, based on the hiking trails and the road network to get to that point. And it was such a handy thing to use. So as a photographer, my key one was fat map. Um, when we're in mountain environments or um, trying to shoot on a location anywhere, I would always use this app to scout the location. Yep. And because it's in a 3D view, you can you can see, okay, if the sun rises over this side and we're at this peak or in this valley, we're going to get hit the sun at this time. And you can start framing your shots um, and really plan your day out a bit more than just trying to wing it. Um, I mean, a lot of it is winging it, to be honest, because <laughs> uh, you can use these apps as much as you can, but you don't know if the trail ends or it dies or um, if something's happened. Like we'd often come across landslides so you'd have to change your course. So, but yeah, a typical day would just be um, having breakfast and a coffee. I think that's the most important thing. And then uh, really just trying to capture as much and tell a story as much as you can using the tools you've got. I must admit, Lucy, uh, Lucy stopped me some photos of, uh, that you'd taken. And there was, I think there's one in particular where it's her sitting inside a tent uh, that I'm guessing is either morning or evening by the look of it. And it's just this silhouette of her uh, in the tent, which is a really amazing photo. That was one of my favorite photos I have ever taken. It was a really, really special moment. We had uh, trying to describe this image. Um, we'd, we'd set up camp, and Lucy's got this incredible tent that's got two vestibules on each side, and you can really open up the doors to just see straight through. And we're just taking some photos because it's golden now at sunset. So I'm just running around with my camera and her and Wombat are just playing in the tent. And then the sun, and this is this is partly about pre-planning. I kind of knew, there's another app I use called Night Sky, and that gives you, um, you can hold your phone up and literally spin in a 360 degree up and down, and it will tell you, this is where the moon is, this is where the sun is, this is where the Milky Way galaxy is at nighttime, this is where all the planets are. And you can change the the timestamp to move forward or back um, days or hours and see the trajectory of um, where things in the solar system are moving. Yep. And so I saw, I pulled that up before we set up camp. I pulled that up and I was like, okay, Lucy, I've just moved it forward an hour. The sun's setting in this direction. Can you line your tent up just so that it faces that way? <laughs> and, it, and it just so happened that it worked out and she just had to turn her tent, you know, a couple of degrees and it was all lined up. And then as the sun was setting, 
there's this amazing shot of Lucy holding and petting Wombat and their noses are touching and the sun's just beaming through the back of the tent. And it's just, yeah, it's one of my favorite photos I've ever taken and I hold that dearly because it was, it was such a special time. I think that's the thing these days. I, I'm from a generation that uh, when I, my first cameras and even up until probably around about sort of 15, 18 years ago were, were all film cameras and you had to think really carefully about the shot because, you know, developing film cost a lot of money and you, you had to really line it up. I think these days with digital, you, you know, as long as you've got enough memory card and battery, you can almost let the camera run and the, the, the difference between one second on one shot and one second on another can make a huge difference to the, the image. Um, if, have you always been a, a digital camera person or have you, 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 you're into um, uh, using uh, film that you develop as well? I actually have never used film before. Yep. Um, for me, film brings out definitely uh, a lot more skill and trust in the camera and trust in yourself to take those photos. And I think they bring, they, they really can show an environment in such a special way. And you're really forced to use your camera well, because you literally have one or two shots. And if you're, if you're out hiking or whatnot, you usually have about 10 to 20 photos on a film camera um, before you run out. <laughs> and here I am coming back from Nepal with 2,700 photos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. So I, ha- I haven't used a film camera um, before. It's, it hasn't been something in my toolkit, to be honest, yeah. I must admit, I, I know when the uh, the... The, the digital cameras were really coming to the fore. You know, it, it got to the stage where they're saying, oh, I know film's still better, still, film's still better, and now it's it seems to have gone the other way where um, I think just about every professional photographer you see still tend, uh, uses digital now, um, and uh, the, the, the use of film has pretty much disappeared, I think, ex- with, with a few rare exceptions. I haven't really seen too many, if any, professional photographers use film, but what I'm noticing is that some um, brands or, or marketing projects will use a film camera um, to bring out a certain style in photos yeah. um, that is quite hard to digitally manipulate. Um, like um, camera burn is one, the colors in film photography and specifically some cameras uh, you just can't replicate. So They'll use film to, to bring out those. But in terms of a tool for, for photographers to use, um, I, I really don't know uh, many, if any, that would, that would use one just because of the limited capacity of, of the film you can take. I mean, imagine the thing with photography these days is that things happen in an instant. A great example was I was uh, well, when I was with Lucy walking, um, a, a guy on a horse just appeared out of nowhere and uh, started chatting to her, and it was like this kind of crazy, exciting thing because we were in the middle of absolutely nowhere, and he was just there for a chat. And I got to capture that moment of her talking to him, and um, we had this incredible landscape behind us. But if you had a film camera, like you can't capture those moments um, as quickly because if you run out of film, you've got to put the new one in, or vice versa. Whereas uh, with with a digital camera, you can really just focus on taking the photo instead of focusing on uh, making sure that the camera works. Um, I think that's kind of one of the limitations of film. But 
it's definitely a great tool um, if you want to bring out a certain style, um, which we are seeing a comeback. I'm seeing a lot more um, hobbyists take up film now because of the certain styles that they take. It's it's quite cool. It's a bit, a bit like record players. What 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 was once old is now new again. The fact that you're a, a a a professional photographer and videographer, there's always going to be some good and some bad. So, what's the best part of your job? I definitely think the best part about this job are the the unique places that you get to go to. Um, by being an adventure photographer and enjoying the outdoors, um, you get exposed to a lot of different and unique places that you wouldn't really otherwise find out if I wasn't in this industry and had this as a job. Like, for example, Peru, being with Lucy, if I had never picked up a camera in my life, I would have probably never have gone to South America. And the, re- and the reason I went to South America was because of Lucy's story and the incredible feat that she's undertaking. Whereas... Yeah, if I didn't have a camera, I don't think I would have gone there. And Peru is such a wonderful country. I was surprised at just how amazing it was. I'd honestly never had really thought about going to South America, um, Southeast Asia, uh, North America and Canada and Europe has always been on my mind. Um, but the food and the people in South America and the views and the mountain ranges are just phenomenal. I think. Peru for me is probably the next place that I really want to get back to. Um, there's an incredible mountain range uh, near a town called Huadas, and I, I reckon it's probably—I I don't think anyone knows about it—but it's probably one of the greatest untouched hiking regions in the world. And have a Google because. <laughs> When I we didn't get to go there because Lucy by this point was already north of there, so yep. I was really hoping that it would it would have worked out. But yeah, I think the the places that um, I get to go to is definitely the best part about this job. And, and, and taking the opposite tack, what's the worst part of what you do? The weight. <laughs> <laughs> you know how I was telling you about that story about all the cans in the bag. Yep. Yep. That. That's now changed to photography gear. I now carry so much stuff, and it's ridiculous. <laughs> I must, so, kind of, yeah, go on. I was going to say, I must admit, I've got a, a handheld gimbal, which I take with me occasionally, but I don't take it on the longer hikes. Uh, at, a, at as much as it gives you a nice, still, uh, free-flowing image, it's like, oh, do I really want to carry an extra 500 grams? Uh, and it's only got a short battery life anyway, so it, it, I tend to drag it out for the day hikes and the uh, uh, the, the short overnight hikes. Yeah, it's it's so tricky um, with what to take, and like, weight is such a big concern. It, it just puts if you can get rid of it, like you need to get rid of it, and that's one thing I learned from Lucy is really how to travel light. But the thing with being an adventure photographer and especially uh, walking with Lucy for an entire month, I had to take everything with me. And the to, to give you an idea, my base weight, I think, is around 11 kgs. Yep. And then all of my camera gear weighs about eight. 
Right, and then you've got food and uh, water on top of that. And then food and water on top of that. But the thing that doesn't include in the 8 kgs is a gimbal, and it's one of these 50-50 things, as you probably have experienced yourself, whether do I really need this, do I not? Because you get such incredibly smooth footage um, straight off the bat, but if you don't carry it, you're saving so much weight. I think my gimbal weighs about 1 kg. Yep fully loaded it's um it's 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 hard and i have to be so really careful with what i carry and honestly i'm trying to carry the bare minimum um i have two lenses a dslr camera um four batteries for that but they really don't weigh that much i think they're about 75 grams each a drone the drone controller drone charger two drone batteries a GoPro, and then a 20,000 milliamp power bank, um, yep. which charges most of the stuff. And all of that weighs 8 kgs. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm finding a similar sort of thing with what I'm doing. The uh, My recent uh, hike on the human hovel track, I, I upped my battery pack to a, a 27,000 milliamp battery pack. And, wow. And it, it wasn't quite enough. It would get me through two weeks. Um, yeah. But given that I'm doing the um, the Australian Alps walking track uh, this time next year, I'm going to have a period of sort of four weeks where I've got no access to batteries. So I'm going to have to try and work out how I manage the battery uh, for what I'm doing. Um, and partly the issue is the podcasting. It just tends to suck the batteries out of everything. Um, mm. Have yeah. you – Have you? so when I was in Nepal, I actually saw a few people hiking with solar panels have you had a look at that at all that's something i've got to explore over the next few months and i think realistically unless i want to carry two 27,000 milliamp battery packs i'm going to have to go solar panel uh and i will actually look at that over the uh, the, the next few months um it's i think there's there's just no other option for some hikes you know it's, it's easy when you know you're going to be in a town or you can plug it plug it in and recharge every few days yeah <laughs> but when you do these sort of hikes where you you know you will not have a, a a a wall socket for three or four weeks that does create a lot of uh, a lot of issues and I, i'm guessing that's the same for you that you know while you've got plenty of uh, uh of uh sd cards or uh, or video cards to to take your footage it's the batteries that's probably going to be limiting um uh, what you do yeah, it's it's stressful because um, especially with a drone, it's one of my really unique tools of storytelling. But you have an hour of flying with two batteries. Yeah. But over, I think the longest we hiked for was five days between charging points, and um, some of the landscapes that we're walking through were just incredible we had like the andes mountain ranges behind us and these beautiful orange tussock grasses that we're walking through and you just really really wanted to throw the drone up and just capture some footage but you had to be so particular about what you wanted to capture because you don't know around the corner it could be even better it's it's such a hard um, problem to face and it's that balance between, okay, well, what do I capture? How many batteries do I take? And like, what weight do I really want to carry? Um, because I think the, the kit that I have right now is pretty good at doing what I want to do. 
And if I took more, there's a lot more. Uh, there's nothing I can take out. It's I carry more because I have to carry more. It's not like I can throw out my sleeping pad or my stove cooker or like an extra set of uh, jackets or whatever because you need a raincoat or a puffer. Um, yeah, it's it's a hard problem. <laughs> okay, so while we're talking about gear, uh, I mean, every photographer or videographer is going to be different. They're all going to have their own preferences uh, and carry the things that they want. Uh, and you mentioned you carry a drone, and, and that's certainly something that's really over the last probably three or four years in particular has, has come to the fore. How do you actually decide what you're going to carry on a hike? And you, know, you mentioned two two lenses. What what lenses do you actually carry for your camera? Yeah, so for anyone interested in knowing, I shoot with a Nikon D5500. Um, it's a crop sensor um, CMOS camera. And the reason I carry that is because it's lightweight. I'm probably going to upgrade soon most likely to a Sony a7 III, um, again, because of the lightweight body that it offers. And Tamron do a great series of lenses uh, for that range of camera, uh, which are pretty much aimed towards lightweight, um, which is really, really important. And in terms of lenses, I shoot uh, with a 18 to 200 um, Tamron lens. It's nothing too special. It's uh, I think it's one of their standard zoom lenses. Yep. Um, and then, but my go-to special lens that I purchased uh, earlier in the year is a Tamron 17 to 50 millimeters, and the aperture on that goes down to 2.8, and it's a constant aperture. So the thing with uh, a lot of lenses is if you zoom in or out, the aperture changes, um, and it can get a bit tricky when you're trying to frame your shots and it reduces the shutter speed and a whole bunch of different things. But with this lens, it's constant, uh, which makes it amazing. And that's pretty much always on my camera, um, the 17 to 50 millimeter, um, because it's great in low light. It's got a, it, it gets quite wide if you're trying to take some landscape shots. Um, and you get a beautiful uh, depth of field if you're focusing on a subject. Yeah, it's. I must admit, I I, mean, I use a, a Nikon fifty three hundred, and I've got uh, the the same Tamron lens, and I've got a um, a couple of others which I tend to carry. But I find that uh, I've had some hikes where I just don't want to carry the weight. I think yeah, you're you're obviously doing photography as a, as a as a job, and you and and these cameras give you so much better images. But for me, carrying mm-hmm. a, a one and a half to two, two and a half, three kilo with a camera and lenses. Is is my sacrifice, if you like. I'm, I am using one of yeah. the one of the smaller uh, compact Sony cameras, which give uh, uh, good good images as, uh, for what they are. Um, but yeah, mm. I think I'd, ideally would love to carry some of the bigger ones. But as you say, weight becomes the issue, and it's what what you have to give up to to carry that. Yeah, and it's it's been trial and error. I've I have a few other lenses that I left at home, but. Um, the 17 to 50 millimeter is really the perfect all rounder. Um, it, it captures everything from uh, landscapes to really good portraits. You've got a good aperture focal range um, if you need to get some depth of field or if you really want everything in focus. Um, and I find it's really important to have a nice zoom lens on your camera as well um, because there's certain environments. 
you can create, you can kind of compose and create different images as well with the zoom lens. Yeah. Um, and one of my really fun things to do uh, is create panoramas. So if I have a subject, call it a mountain or um, a landscape, I'll actually zoom in quite far with the um, 18 to 200, and then I'll take about six or eight shots in a square grid. Yep. And then when I go back onto my laptop, I'll combine them as one big panorama, and you get this incredible 60, 100, 120 megapixel image um, that you can blow up on prints or um, use for advertisements or whatever it needs to be. All right. Now you did. You mentioned drones. Uh, what sort of drone have you got? And uh, uh, and how? And you you did say that you know, you've got a, a limitation on how much time you can get it into the air. Um, but how often are you finding you're using your drone these days? I take my drone with me everywhere I go, <laughs> as well as my camera. Um, I the only place that I haven't taken my drone uh, was Annapurna Base Camp in Nepal. Um, because there's signs up everywhere saying that it's completely banned and there's locals and Sherpas everywhere and if you get caught, you're probably going to get kicked out of the country. Um, but on every adventure and every hike, um, even skiing, I take it with me. Um, I've got a protective case for it so I can put it in a backpack. But the drone's phenomenal. I have a DJI Mavic Pro. It's the first series of that range of camera. Yep. And it's, I think it's, for an adventure photographer, it's probably the perfect drone. Um, DJI do another series of drones called the Mavic Air and the Spark, but which are super compact, and I think they're really good. The issue with those drones, though, is their image capabilities aren't as great. Um, but the Mavic Pro, oh, and the other issue with those is that they're not as stable in high winds um, because they're a lot smaller and don't have the thrust and the engines to keep it stable. Yeah. Whereas the Mavic Pro, it folds down to, I don't know how to describe it, probably the size of your hand yeah. it would fold, fold down to. But when you open up the arms and get it going, it's like the size of an A4 piece of paper. It's massive. Um, and it's got really good size propellers. And I've flown it in, I think, 100 to 120 kilometer an hour gusts. Oh, that's pretty And good. it's been fine. Yeah. <laughs> And the battery life's amazing. It goes for, uh, I think it's, its official time is 27 minutes. Um, and it's more than enough flying time um, to capture what you need. So another really unique thing with uh, having a drone, and it's kind of my secret weapon to storytelling, is that you get to access places that you can't. Um, what I really like to do is when I'm out on location is to send the drone up in the air it actually does two really cool things. One is it takes amazing photos and you're really able to show um, people who are viewing the story, whether it's photos or videos, on what we're seeing. So you can pan right out and be able to capture us down at the bottom and the entire view and vista around us. The second really unique thing that I like about having a drone is being actually able to view where you're walking ahead. Um, I was out on a hike in the Rockies here and we were trying to summit a mountain called Mount Bizarro. There's no official trail um, path and there's really no information about it. So me and a buddy went for a hike to try and summit this mountain and I ended up putting the drone up 
um, over this bridge line to see around the next corner whether or not we could actually make it because we couldn't make out too much in the satellite imagery when we were trying to prepare for it. And the drone pops around the corner and it's a straight cliff. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's another really useful tool. But I, I love having a drone with me. It's I actually wanted to be a helicopter pilot when I was younger. Yeah. And so that was also another reason why I really wanted to get one. And it's just this really cool perspective. You can really capture a whole lot about the environment that you're in through a drone that you really can't with a camera um, unless you hire a helicopter and and get to go for a trip up in the air. Yeah, I think I think that was the thing. I, I remember doing a helicopter trip for a birthday a number of years ago, and that was pretty amazing. But as you say, these days you've you've got access to drones. They're they're relatively inexpensive for most people if they unless they're going going super large, um, and they can get yeah. some pretty amazing sort of images. As you say, it's you normally don't get those aerial shots, and it's it's interesting to see uh, see what people are actually doing from from that perspective. Yeah, and hiring a helicopter is expensive. That's not cheap. So being able to bring that aerial perspective into a story is is really, really special. And if anyone's interested in buying a drone, they're actually quite cheap now. Um, I've seen a lot out there that have definitely come down in price. Yeah, no, like as I said, you're seeing them more and more. If someone was interested in getting into this into the industry, what advice would you give them? Honestly, the number one piece of advice would be to take your camera everywhere you go. And I know that sounds really cheesy, but I'm still learning. Like, I know that it's like I'm a professional in the industry now and I do this for a living, but I'm still figuring things out. Like, um, the other week I was in Nepal, um, we were shooting the Annapurnas and I realized that if you change the aperture on your camera um, from, say, 2.8 to 11 and then go to 22, you actually start bringing out lens flares into the shot. It's just, yeah, one of the, it, it's, you, you just learn as you use your camera more and more. And I just can't stress it enough. I just think it's extremely important if you really want to get into photography and adventure photography that you just take your camera everywhere you go and you just start shooting. Start shooting in aperture mode, start shooting in manual mode and just try and figure out what each function of your camera does and really just know it inside out. And there's no better, you, you can watch endless YouTube tutorials or read the manuals and stuff. But at the end of the day, you need to be a master of your tool. And the only way you can really do that is by using it. So, that's my number one tip for sure. And then if you're shooting your friend's party or you're out in the wild or you're taking a beautiful photo anywhere and you're taking a photo of a subject or a person, don't be afraid to get bossy. It's If you know the composition of the photo that you want and you know it's going to look epic, just get that person to shuffle over a few steps or move around and tell them to wait until you get the shot. Um, that's another thing I've learned is you can really, if you just put that tiny bit more effort into making sure that, like, for example, the rule of thirds, it's one of the basic things of photography, and I use it every day. If you line things up like that, your photos just become composed and look so much better. Um, so I recommend that. And then 
I guess my last piece of advice would be don't be afraid to dive into the unknown and take risks. And don't be afraid to, afraid to reach out. Like when we, for example, the first ever gig that I ever got was the Lawn Bowls. Yeah. And that was just a case of me messaging the Facebook event page and saying, hey, I have a drone, should we use it? And that kind of sparked that job. And then again with Lucy, I, with her whole story, I reached out to Lucy and I was like, hey, I'd love to come and film and walk with you. This was two years ago. Yeah. Um, at some point, she was like, totally, message me when it's right and we'll make it work. And then that's kickstarted this whole project now. And now I'm working on a short film on her incredible expedition north to Alaska. So sometimes you need to take a risk. It's nerve wracking. And but you just need to get the courage and do it. Yeah, I, I think I must admit there's something I've learned with doing podcasting. You, you, you don't know if you don't ask, and uh, uh, and typically you'd be surprised that uh, most people will tend to, tend to be quite happy if you explain what you're doing and they can see value in it. Exactly, and people love helping out the little guy. Like if you're new to, to photography and you're just, hey, I'd love to take some photos of your event or – um, you have a friend that you know that's getting married or a 21st that's on or you want to go um, and shoot in the outdoors, like send your photos to um, tourism agencies or, you know, all these little things help. Uh, if you take a photo of a product and it looks really good and an awesome landscape, just email the company and say, hey, I have some awesome images of this recent trip I did. Could I could you give me a contact and I can send them to you guys because they might appreciate it. And then that will could kickstart a conversation and to, um, you know, you have a contact within that company and it could go places. Okay. And I suppose um, I've just a couple of more questions to go. Um, so where to next? You mentioned you were uh, doing this, this project with Lucy. Is that your, your next big focus over the next year or two? Yes. So Lucy's expedition is very, very exciting. Um, we're currently planning uh, a series on her walk. So I'm going to try and get back down there uh, when she's in Panama or maybe Colombia or Ecuador if things work out. Yep. Then again in Mexico, uh, the United States, where she will be walking the hopefully the PCT. Yep. Um, yep. If not, it might be something else. Then she'll be walking through Canada, which will be incredibly fun to shoot, and then up through Alaska. So over the next few years, um, we're going to be working together to bring hopefully uh, a series of episodes on her adventure and where she is and just try and tell her story. So we're trying to figure out ways to distribute that at the moment. Um, We've had some ideas, but we're actually looking to see if we can find a contact in the streaming network industry. Um, and what are you looking at there? What what uh, what sort of help do you need to, in trying to tee that up? Yeah, so we're, what we'd like to do is, is work on this five-part series and then get it into a, a streaming service like Netflix or Hulu. Um, and we're trying to find a contact in those networks um, to see if we could pitch our idea to them and see if they'd like to be interested in taking it on board. 
Yeah, I think it's it's always one of those hard things, isn't it? I mean, having the idea is good, you know, and, and all all you need is someone, the right person to hear hear the request at the right time, and you, you never know how it works out. So, uh, we'll we'll put that on the show notes, and hopefully we'll get some response that of some someone that can help you out on that. Thanks, Tim. That would be appreciated. Okay, now one final question: um, in the work that you've done, what's the thing that really stands out, and why? Um, I tell you what, the thing that would stand out to me, uh, I was the recipient of a photography competition, um, at a film festival early this year. Uh, that was probably one of the, one of my highlights and definitely one of like the best moments of my life. I submitted a photo of a uh, sunset streaming through the valley um, and I honestly didn't think it had any success to it but it ended up going to a people's vote and ended up winning the photography competition and I thought that was really really cool because it's obviously been a passion of mine but to really see that people enjoy those photos that I take um, it was really special. Yeah, no, really, that, really cool. I think that's the thing. It's 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 always good. I mean, you, you can take photos because you can enjoy doing it yourself, but to have other people say, "Wow, that's a really amazing photo," and to be be picked out of a obviously a group of other photos to say, "Yep, you've you've done really well." I think it's just that recognition to say you you must be doing something right. To uh, and you know whether it, whether there's prizes attached to it or not, just even just the recognition that can be enough to to push you on and spur you on to do better. It, it really does, and you know when you try and create your own path and um, do something you really love, it's. It's hard. It's, it's definitely not easy. You don't know if you're doing the right thing and you don't know if people are really resonating with what you're creating. But to be able to actually be recognized um, like that was was really special. Okay, that's good. So we've been talking to Daniel Taylor. Uh, so, Daniel, thank you for taking your time to talk to the Australian Hiker podcast. Thank you, Tim, for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. So that was really interesting to listen to Daniel and the journey that he's been on. Uh, there were a bunch of things that I um, liked about that, probably more so in the transition that he was uh, doing from hobby to real-time job. Um, he'd bought himself a, a drone and had to get serious to get the value out of it. So uh, he gave himself six months, which was was kind of um, brave, um, maybe a bit ambitious, Um and uh, I liked hearing that his his first job was to do the lawn bowls tournament, and um, you know that's probably not something that uh, people would have thought about would have been a place to start, um, but any place is a good place. Um, and the message that he had was about learning um, along the way, learning from each job and taking it into the next job. I think the other thing that Daniel mentioned as well was um, was basically take photos is what it amounts to. <laughs> um, I think uh, if you're if you're aiming at becoming a professional photographer, you can't just take sort of two photos a week every every week of the year. Uh, and these days with digital uh, cameras, you've got the ability to take 
hundreds of photos without any great real any great issue, providing you've got enough uh, battery power and storage. I mean, I come from a generation that was uh, raised on film, uh, and you really tended to take uh, uh, the shots that you had lined up and sorted out. And I know talking to professional photographers a number of years ago about how they managed to get the good shots. I remember talking to one photographer in particular who said that he would take 200 shots and get two really spectacular ones. Uh, So I think in the days of film, it would become a a situation of you had the ability and the money to either uh, pay for developing or develop your own photos because because there's going to be a lot of lot of things that aren't going to work out well for you. Yeah, there there were a lot of barriers. It's a bit bit prohibitive if you look at it from that perspective. And yeah, I think I mean he did talk a lot about. digital and um, the benefits of digital, but it just in generally in terms of your camera as a professional photographer, that aspect that the camera is your tool. So make sure you know your tool and know how to use it and use it well. And I think that probably applies to any profession where you're using a, a piece of, a, of uh, equipment, whether, you know, you're a tradie, um, you know, whether you drive, drive trucks, whether you uh, an engineer and and have to deal with you know quite sophisticated equipment, um, whatever it is, know your tool. So I think uh, I think also from my perspective as well, he, he talked a bit about the equipment he was using, uh, and he's not carrying full frame censored cameras uh, because they certainly are a lot heavier. He's carrying the uh, uh, the the slightly smaller versions. Uh, which still do weigh a bit. I think he was saying that he was carrying about eight kilos of camera equipment. <laughs> and, you know, when you add that on top of your hiking gear and everything else that you need to deal with. And then your food and water. I mean, he was way over 20 kilos, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. So it's it's the sort of thing that, uh, you know, you, you need to basically be carrying what you need. And sometimes that might mean you leave something at home. And, you know, we discussed the, the use of gimbals. Gimbals are so good as far as getting really good quality, particularly video when you don't get the jerkiness, but it's do you want to carry that for the extra weight uh, and the benefit you're getting out of it. He mentioned drones as well, uh, and I think these days drones are becoming more and more common. Uh, and I must admit, I, uh, I see drones as being quite a useful tool. They give you images and shots that you really can't get any other way. <laughs> And um, as I was listening, you know, I just thought, oh, I understand now why Tim has decided for Christmas he's going to get a drone and we're waiting for it to <laughs> arrive. And I just went, you know, where did he get this idea? Clearly <laughs> from Daniel. Good on you, Daniel. No, no. He, uh, I'd, I'd, actually ordered, I'd actually ordered the drone before uh, uh, before I talked to Daniel. But it's it's the sort of thing that, I, you know, it's, it's like anything. You, you may not take every piece of gear or every piece of camera equipment with you every time you go hiking. For me, I use a compact camera that fits into my pocket that I can get out quite easily. But if uh, there are days where I take my SLR with me with uh, with multiple lenses, uh, but it's not going to be on multi-day, multi-week hikes, um, and particularly in a situations where the weather conditions may not be that great. Uh, I have had days where, um, you know, if I hadn't have had a waterproof compact camera, uh, I wouldn't have got the camera out at all because it's just been pouring with rain but the shots have been there if you've got a camera that can, can cope with those conditions. Yeah, and I think it also depends on why you're there. If if you're there 
to take photos, then you're going to be travelling a little bit slower than perhaps we do. Um, uh, You're going to be able to justify um, the weight in the pack and potentially jettison something else um, that's not as of jettison something else that's not as value or as much value for you. So, you know, I think it 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 does just depend. Um, and if you're willing to, you know, spend the time and and have that focus, I, I think that's fantastic. I'm I'm a little bit of a happy snapper. So, you know, I probably miss out on some fantastic shots shots. Um, but uh, you know, for those who are really into looking through the lens of the camera, I think that's great. That's what we need and that's what gets the word out about the fantastic environment that we're walking through. So a couple of other things that stood out for me for um, from Daniel, don't be afraid to take a risk. So that was the advice to um, those who are, are looking into getting into photography, whether it's hobby-wise or, or professionally. Um, so I thought that was um, quite good. And the thing that stood out for him was winning that competition, winning the People's Prize. So it was that affirmation that some of the things that he's doing is quite good. You never know until you put it out there and getting that uh, um, confirmation that he was taking good pics was, you know, a, a bit of a nice thing for him. So one thing that Daniel did mention as well, he's 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 trying to work with Lucy Barnard from Tangles and Tail as she she does her walk from the, the bottom of South America to the top of North America and he's trying to actually film a, a documentary series uh, that journals her trip uh, over a period of years and, and he did ask for help if possible uh, in relation to identifying a streaming service or someone that can help out and connecting uh, him with a streaming service that that might provide a bit of assistance. So if there's anyone out there that has those contacts, um, Daniel's contact information is on the show notes of our website and I'm sure he'd be happy to hear from you. Uh, and I think you know, anything that helps get... Uh, hiking-related documentaries and stories out in the mainstream it, it, it can't be anything else but good. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Okay, so we hope that's provided a bit of an insight into the life and um, uh, times of a uh, an adventure photographer, what it takes, what's involved. Um, yeah, you get to go some to some amazing places, uh, see some amazing scenery, and sit and 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 spend time with some amazing people. But it's not all sunshine and roses. There's some uh, there's some hard carrying. There's a lot of editing time spent in a house in front of a computer. Uh, so it's the sort of thing that uh, um, it really you know if if this is something that that you're really interested in, um, use Daniel's uh, story as an indication of of how you potentially can get into this industry if that's that's really what you want to do. So we hope you've enjoyed this uh, interview with Daniel. Um, and if you go to the show notes on our website, uh, we've got some images and some contact information uh, if you want to see more of Daniel's work. In next week's episode, uh, which is our last episode for 2019, we're going to be looking at the best apps for Australian hiking. Uh, and these uh, are a series of apps, that some of them which we've reviewed over the last couple of years, uh, but there's a few more that we'll be talking about as well. So they'll hopefully provide a, 
uh, a bit of a, a background on some of the, the really amazing apps that uh, are designed to make hiking and being in the outdoors a bit easier. If you want to listen to this podcast um, and all our back catalogue of other uh, episodes, uh, which now total 135 episodes all up, uh, go to our website at www.australianhiker.com.au um, and if you have the opportunity, please go through and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcapture of choice to help get the message out there. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.